All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, today we have the fats, fuels, and oils forecast for the week of March 8th. Today I have Tori Alden with us. He's going to dig into veg oils. Um, if anybody has questions during the presentation, go ahead and drop them in the Q&A. We'll get to them at the end of Tori's presentation. Um, and with that, Tori, you want to take it from here? Thank you, George. Uh, so today is WASD report day. I think this is actually the second month that uh, the WASD report has fallen on the same day that I've done uh, this webinar. So the articles that I wrote yesterday basically previewed what uh, came out today. And generally the WASD report was was not a big event this, this time. Um, no real significant changes in USDA's balance sheets. Um, the balance sheet for uh, soybean oil, USDA only changed modestly. Uh, they raised their forecast for uh, non-bio diesel usage by 200 million pounds. Um, they offset that a little bit with a 150 million pound decrease in uh, the forecast for exports as expected. Their export number now is, is still above where we are. Um, and so uh, I think that that probably comes down further in ensuing reports. Um, and in fact, I think there's probably some potential for uh, additional downside even, even in our forecast. Um, from the 2.4 billion that we have. And I think there's probably some additional upside both in USDA's forecast for uh, soybean oil usage and biodiesel production and an additional increase in non-biodiesel usage. These USDA numbers here are not, uh, not from today's report, they're from last month's report. So this number is actually 15.2 and this number is actually 2.6. Outside of that, the only real change they made uh, was an increase in supply that was due to an increase in the soybean oil yield. Oddly enough, they didn't change the soybean meal yield. Typically, those things kind of work inversely, um, but they didn't make a change to the soybean meal yield uh, and left the, the meal balance sheet unchanged for what it's worth. Outside of, of the interesting parts of the soybean oil balance sheet, USDA made a small cut to Argentine production, 500,000 tons. That was about as expected. It still is 1.5 million tons above uh, Rosario grain exchanges uh, prediction. And uh, the recent dryness suggests that maybe the USDA will need to cut further in, in ensuing reports, and that would provide uh, additional support for the soy complex and particularly for the products complex since Argentina is the biggest exporter of soybean oil and soybean meal. However, that said, um, it's been dry in, in Argentina, but uh, we saw similar dryness in the US during uh, pod filling like we're seeing in Argentina now. And the US yield was still a, a very solid yield. And so if the sort of timely rains that have fallen in Argentina have been enough to keep topsoil moisture adequate, 
and there was enough subsoil moisture, typically in dry years, the soybean root systems will reach way down to try and find water. If there's enough water in that subsoil area, um, maybe USDA's number is closer to what is ultimately realized than Rosario grain Rosario grain exchanges forecast. Either way, I think that uh, additional cuts from USDA in Argentina are, are probably going to be pretty modest. Um, they also raised their forecast for uh, Brazilian production by a million tons from 133 million to 134 million. Um, and that was due to an increase actually in last year's production, which changed the trend line for yields. And so net net from the sort of the big three, the US, Argentina and Brazil, a 500,000 ton increase in, um, in soybean supplies. Outside of the USDA report, obviously soybean oil prices have continued to rally and, and rally sharply in the past week and in the last three days before today. Um, soybean oil prices broke through a, a round number. Uh, the benchmark contract rose from uh, above 50 cents to above 51 cents to above 52 cents in, in sort of three consecutive days. And that strength is, is being driven by uh, strong domestic demand from renewable diesel producers. I've got to say that we expected strong domestic demand, um, but we didn't expect it quite as early as it's come on. And so as a result, we made some pretty substantial changes to our soybean oil uh, futures forecast uh ranges over the full year i think we raised prices by somewhere between two and a half and in five cents over the entire forecast period so you can see we expect prices to remain close to or above 50 cents until we get into well into the u.s growing season and then uh assuming normal weather we would expect a little bit of pressure on on soybean prices which would translate into uh, a little bit of weakness in soybean oil prices. That said, if demand is already this strong from uh, the biofuel industry and we expect additional plants to open over the course of the year, um, the decline in July could be smaller or, or could be even non-existent. Um, and then by the end of the year, we expect prices to to move pretty much pretty steadily higher, both because growing demand from soybean oil, but also we expect uh, a rally in soybean prices near the end of the year after the U.S. growing season, even if we have sort of, of typical weather, because it's going to be very tough to get the U.S. carryout for 21-22 substantially above of pipeline levels. Um, so the biggest question kind of going forward for 
um, for soybean oil is is just how quickly this demand will come on and um, and whether crush will be able to keep up with it. USDA's crush forecast right now, which was unchanged in the WASD report, um, suggests that uh, if, if you look at it on a monthly basis, suggests that crush needs to probably slow down, at least drop below last year's level starting in, we have it starting in May, um, it may be June or July really before that that slowdown occurs. Uh, but when that happens, that could tighten up the supply of soybean oil. Um, and again, probably present more upside price risk to our summer price forecast than, uh, than we're currently reflecting. But uh, this is kind of where we are right now. One of the big moves that we've seen in um, over the past month or so has been oil share. Soybean meal prices have remained relatively flat, just around $400 a ton or $420 a ton, while soybean oil prices have moved sharply higher. Um, nearby uh, oil share is, is just below 40% at 38 or 39%. And I think that there is a real strong possibility that we get above 40% easily by the, um, by the end of the year. And we could be substantially above 40% by the time that uh, we get into 2022. We've talked before about the idea that crushers really crush soybeans for soybean meal. And with the demand for soybean oil that we expect, there's some potential for uh, crushers to need to crush for um, for soybean oil. That's very unusual and it's difficult because uh, because you can store soybean oil for longer than you can store soybean meal. And so that would suggest that oil share ultimately could rise up into the 60 or 70% level if, if we actually need to um, need to get out that if we need to have that much soybean oil relative to uh, soybean meal demand. Uh, the other thing that we changed this week is we changed our, we've talked a little bit about this, but we changed our forecast for um, canola oil from Chicago to Los Angeles. We think that Los Angeles is more reflective of where the market is headed um, with the LCFS programs on the West Coast and the renewable diesel plants that are opening there and in the availability of, of canola oil from Canada along the West Coast, um, the Los Angeles market probably makes more sense. And so we've, we've switched that. You can see that um, we expect the uh, canola price to remain really well supported. Um, again, maybe a little decline during the summer months, um, but uh, then a, a pretty strong bounce back. We're expecting the EPA to, uh, to approve a pathway for canola oil by the end of 2021. Um, for canola oil and renewable diesel production, I should say. And that would provide additional price support. As we get closer to that point, you probably will see um, 
renewable diesel producers start to establish their uh, canola oil supply chains very much in the same way that we're kind of seeing um, renewable diesel producers starting to buy feedstocks ahead of, of opening uh, this year. And that's that's part of what's contributed to the strength in, in soybean oil prices. Um, and so even beyond the summer months, there could be some substantial uh, upside price risk, even from our forecast in the fall and in around uh, the turn of the year from 2021 to 2022. Um, canola oil uh, ending stocks in Canada are going to be tight for 2021 and are expected to remain tight in 21-22. And so any setback in in prices on either canola futures or cash canola oil prices would probably be temporary. Um, There's been strong demand for canola out of China and despite the political tensions between China and Australia and and Canada, they continue to import from those countries, uh, but they probably would like to import more from those countries than they do. And that that sort of shortfall in in Chinese vegetable oil supplies has kind of a knock-on effect in other vegetable oils, sunflower oil, palm oil, soybean oil, um, as can, or as China moves to fill in the supplies that they would have gotten from uh, from canola oil and fill those with with other vegetable oils. So for canola oil, much in the same way of soybean oil, not only does the domestic fundamental outlook provide some support for prices, but also the world fundamentals remain relatively bullish. And it just does not seem like there is um, a way for a a catalyst to drive prices substantially lower for a significant period of time, at least that I can see in the next 12 to 18 months. So high prices came a little bit earlier than we expected, and they probably are going to stay a little bit longer than we expected as well. Uh, For palm oil, um, palm oil, we will get um, the monthly report from the Malaysian Palm Oil Board. They'll release that tonight. Uh, and expectations are for a build in palm oil stocks of about five to seven, eight, nine percent. Palm oil exports in February remained really weak after a really weak January. And so that slowdown in demand coupled with an increase in production is likely to drive the the increase in in palm oil stocks. We probably are getting closer to the seasonal increase in palm oil production. And so as a result, the, the spread, the forward spreads between palm oil and soybean oil have reached new highs in the past week with the May contract spread rising above 10 cents and the July contract rising above 11 cents. That has effectively shut off U.S. soybean oil exports that in the the strong domestic demand and interior basis in the in the U.S. has effectively shut off uh, U.S. soybean oil exports. Unless that spread narrows, that 
situation is probably going to continue and and that's why we expect that uh, there's potentially further downside in in not only USDA's forecast for U.S. soybean oil exports but also for for our forecast in U.S. soybean oil exports. And for palm oil, um, you can see we expect prices to remain uh, pretty well supported, despite the fact that we expect stocks to build from historically low levels across much of the rest of the year. As production increases seasonally, we expect that exports probably will pick up during the second half of the marketing year. We think that uh, buyers, particularly in India, are postponing purchases as opposed to switching from palm oil to, uh, to other vegetable oils. And I'm not sure that they are going to get the price break that they're kind of expecting. And so at some point, I think they're going to have to buy and, and exports will kind of catch up in palm oil. That'll provide some support, but even with the relatively bearish fundamentals, and it's not like they're really bearish, they're just relatively bearish compared to say soybean oil or canola oil. Um, even with the relatively bearish fundamentals for uh, palm oil, we still expect that uh, prices will remain really well supported uh, through the next year, even as inventories continue to uh, continue to build. All right, hopping over to biomass-based diesel. If my computer will cooperate. Here we go. Uh, what I really want to look at is the hobo spread. The hobo spread jumped above uh, $2 this week on Monday. I think we hit $228. Um, and this goes through, this is essentially through Friday. And it doesn't look like the hobo spread is, is going to come down anytime soon. Historically, anytime the hobo spread has moved above 180 per gallon, the month after it's moved above that level, it has started a decline that has typically been pretty, pretty significant. Uh, the last time that it happened, prices dropped from like 240 down to like 60 cents or something like that over the course of obviously several months. Although the, even though the month after prices went above 180, um, there was a pretty substantial decline. However, we think that uh, there's a good chance that the hobo spread remains above $2 and probably remains uh, relatively high and, and could even reach record levels here over the course of the summer. Soybean oil prices just have been that strong that they have offset a, what has been a pretty substantial rally in, in energy and heating oil prices. Um, and But even with that strength in, in energy prices, the hobo spread has continued to rise. We think that energy prices will probably continue to rise. If you read the EIA's latest short-term energy outlook, they're basically forecasting a, a 3 million barrel a day shortfall in production relative to demand. If OPEC does not step up to fill that or one of the other producers does not step up to fill that gap, we're going to draw down stocks pretty significantly and that's going to provide some uh, additional support for 
the energy complex, but even with expectations for higher energy prices, we still expect that the hobo spread probably remains above the $2 level, in part because of the value of the credits that are generated at the state level. Those have sort of changed the structure of, of the what the LCFS credit means. And so um, this is, is something that is going to ultimately weigh on the profitability of biodiesel producers and ultimately it will force rationalization in that industry. But like we outlined in the, uh, in the report this week, it looks to me like that rationalization may not occur as early as expected, and it could be 20, late 2022 or early 2023 before we uh, start to get that. And then I'll just quickly run through our, our RIN forecast, and then I'll open it up for questions. Um, RIN forecast prices are also expected to uh, to remain pretty well supported. The uh, the implied lack of profitability from the hobo spread tends to support RIN prices, and so if the hobo spread is going to remain really high, then RIN prices are probably going to follow. The hobo spread is one of the key inputs into the model that we use to predict. Uh, RIN prices. That said, I think when that rationalization in, in biodiesel uh, occurs, I think what you probably will see is RIN prices start to move lower, and that ultimately will be the catalyst to drive some of the smaller independent biodiesel producers out of business. I think you will, I think the large integrated producers will ultimately survive. Um, they may switch to some of their plants to renewable diesel, but out of the group of biodiesel producers that exist today, certainly large integrated producers, especially those that can ship into those West Coast markets have a better chance of surviving um, than do the smaller uh, independent biodiesel producers. All right, with that, I will open it up for questions. All right, Tori, we got uh, several questions here for you today. Um, this question is for either canola or soybeans. Will oil demand continuing to rise and pushing up prices, uh, no, with oil demand continuing to rise and push up prices, is there domestic capacity for increased crush? Um, that, it, there, crush is, is, is obviously relatively fixed. Um, and I think that it's that it's fixed at a level that's pretty close to where USDA is is projecting crush for this year, which is about 2.2 billion bushels. I think you could probably have a little bit more um, than that, but not a not a huge increase above that. You saw an announcement uh, this week from one of the ABCDs, and I I don't remember. I apologize. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but they talked about investing in crushing and processing capacity to meet the the needs of renewable diesel producers. Um, I think you will get an expansion in crushing and processing capacity over the next several years. Um, if we look out over the longer time frame, uh, like we do in our in our outlook report, kind of the way that I see crush capacity of evolving is you kind of get an increase and that it provides enough supply or, or maybe a little bit more supply than is necessary 
and then you go for a while and then as demand builds and and inventories tighten again then you get the next sort of stair step up in in crushing capacity one of the things that i think will be really interesting is that in 2021 22 just to meet the soybean oil demand uh, we think that crush probably needs to be above 2.3 billion bushels whereas usda is keeping it relatively steady around 2.2 billion and that 100 million bushels um, will make a big difference i don't know that that crushing capacity is available today um, and it may not even be available in, in 21, 22. And so if it's not, we could have a situation where soybean oil uh, stocks get really tight and, and prices move substantially above where we're forecasting. Um, but in terms of just kind of, do we have enough crush capacity to meet the demand over the uh, through the rest of this marketing year, I, I would say yes, um, with some caveats that, of course, we need to probably draw down exports a little bit more and, and probably will draw down stocks maybe a little bit more than people are expecting. Okay. Tori, we have about uh, five or six minutes left. Got a couple more questions. Uh, what is your palm oil stocks outlook to support such a high price outlook? Or is it simply all the oils flowing the U.S. island higher? higher? Yeah, it's it's more the second one. Um, our stocks outlook really is uh, we expect stocks to end at about 1.6 or 1.7 million tons this year. Um, again, that's dependent on on the pace of exports, which we expect exports to remain relatively weak over the next couple of months and then really pick up in the second half of the year. Um, and so at 1.6 or 1.7, I don't think that you could make the case that uh, that justifies that level of, of price. Uh, but if you look at the spread between soybean oil and, and palm oil, it's hard to forecast palm oil prices lower. Now, I know that the soybean oil palm oil spread has blown out to levels that are historically high, but it gets incrementally tougher to increase that spread beyond where it, where it currently is. And so I think the way that I think about palm oil um, it recently and and in the over the course of the summer is that it's probably going to be dragged kicking and screaming higher by uh, the rest of the world vegetable oils. Um, there is going to be a point where I think that Indian buyers are going to need to return to the market. And when that happens, then there's the potential for uh, palm oil stocks to maybe finish a little bit lower than we are we are expecting, depending on the level of restocking that they're going to need to do, uh, and that could provide some uh, some further support for palm oil prices. But but you're exactly right; it's it's mostly due to uh, the rising tide lifts all boats theory and and strength in world vegetable oils and prices and bullish world vegetable oil fundamentals more than bullish fundamentals for palm oil. Okay. Is the hobo differential still positive for renewable diesel producers outside of California and Oregon? Uh, I would say that given where the RIN prices are, uh, producers outside of, of California and Oregon are probably 
close to um, profitability or maybe just a, a shade above profitability or a shade below profitability. Um, you've seen RIN prices rise in lockstep with, uh, with the hobo spread and their function there really is to ensure profitability for those producers that aren't able to ship into those West Coast markets. So I would say that to the extent that um, you have profitability turn negative for those producers, that probably forces a, uh, an increase in, in RIN prices. Now, we haven't seen a significant drop off in production, at least not in the data yet, in, in biodiesel. Uh, we saw sort of the typical seasonal decline in January that we that we usually get. Um, but the January EMTS data actually came in relatively close to what we were expecting. And I thought, given the rise in the hobo spread, that there was a significant chance that it might come in substantially below what we were expecting. So I would say that I, I think it probably is is relatively close to um, close to one side or the other. I think they're probably either marginally profitable or, or just marginally unprofitable. Um, and as that marginally unprofitable, or each time they become marginally unprofitable, I think you get sort of another leg higher in the RIN prices to offset that. Sorry, if Malaysian palm oil stocks are above 2.0 MMT, Metric ton, is that what that is? Million metric tons. Got it. Later this year, prices still do not go down, question mark. Um, two million metric tons is kind of the psychological barrier for Malaysian uh, uh, stocks. So I, I tend to think about this, and maybe I'm the only person in the world that thinks about this. I don't know if this is sort of the industry standard or anything, but this is how I think about it. Um, above 2 million metric tons, it tends to be bearish for uh, for palm oil prices. Below 2 million metric tons, it tends to be bullish for um, formulation prices. Given our assumptions today and where we have stocks uh, right now, for stocks to rise above 2 million metric tons would imply either that production is, is substantially above what we're expecting. And, and that seems relatively hard given where we are uh, in production and in what we're forecasting. Um, it seems much more likely that, that additional, the additional stocks would come from slower than expected exports. And so if you have slower than expected exports, I think that there's a better chance that the downside price risk is, is pretty substantial from, from what we're forecasting. Um, however, that is kind of the world that we've been living in for the past couple of months with, with palm oil prices. And so you saw the, the divergence between palm oil and soybean oil where palm oil dropped uh, starting in mid-January and soybean oil really started to rally. The palm or the soybean oil palm oil spread blew out, and now you've seen palm oil recover, even though exports continue to remain pretty weak. Um, so on it, some level, soybean oil will just drag palm oil higher with it. Whether the it there will be sufficient, it, whether if stocks are over two million metric tons, continued 
increases in soybean oil prices will be sufficient to drag palm oil above 4,000 ringgit per ton um, is something that we're going to have to see. It's, it's, it's honestly a, a relatively unusual situation, and I'm not sure that I have seen uh, this particular dynamic or setup over the course of my career um, monitoring these markets. So uh, it's something that I'd say I, I think will happen, but um, I can't really point to anything in history where I can say, oh, yeah, if you go back and compare it to this period, this is exactly the same thing that happened and look at what happened to prices. This is just more along the lines of, I think that there is probably an upper bound to um, the spread between soybean oil and palm oil. And while that spread can kind of continue to move higher, um, as it moves higher, it has sort of diminishing returns on, um, on the ability of palm oil to continue to move lower, if that makes sense. As, as soybean oil moves higher, ultimately it drags palm oil higher. Tori, we have more questions, but we don't have more time. Uh, the last question we'll throw out there is, when are you releasing your long-term price forecast report? Uh, we are releasing the long-term price forecasting report, I think, this week. Um, and then we have our long-term webinar on, uh, on Thursday. Uh, if you're interested in what uh, is going to happen beyond the, the couple of years that we cover in, in forecasting, I would suggest taking a look at, at purchasing that report. We go out for 10 years and we provide balance sheets and price forecasts um, out for all of the feedstocks for the entire period. Um, and then we also kind of look at uh, a roll-up of the fats and oils and a roll-up of the vegetable oils in a similar way that we do in the, in the forecasting product. It's just out for a longer period. Um, so that's coming out this week. And then, it, it, of course, it updates quarterly. And so it's a good way to keep up with um, what we think is going to happen in the longer term. Uh, based on the developments that we see in the uh, biomass-based diesel industry. Okay. Well, Tori, thanks for your uh, insights, and thank you for the attendees for jumping in there and asking great questions. Next week, we'll have Ryan Standard on talking about low CI. Uh, with that, have a great day. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, George. Thanks, everybody.